the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 The Answer presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information from the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. I'm getting closer to my house. Call now. 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. Hi, we're back, and I'm here with our legal expert, Jerry Feeney, and I'm Dottie Herman, your real estate expert and ace, what a superb. I'm getting there. It's perfect. Years, yeah. uh, our financial expert. And as I promised before, we're thrilled to have Dan Sater, our credit expert, and he's on the line. Hi, Dan. How are you? Oh, hi. Great to hear you back again now. Yes. Well, you know, I, I never, it's like, I really never miss this. It's just that I was in London and the six hour time, there was just too big a time difference. <laughs> Uh, but we're glad to have you and thrilled, actually. And there's a lot of changes that are coming that came about. Well, with- yeah, one of the big ones with the credit reports is that, you know, back in uh, 2015, the bureaus reached a settlement with 31 state attorney generals wow. to ensure that the credit reports would be more accurate. And it's been phased in over the last three years. And th- this last month was the final phase in. And, um, you know, last, last time when you were away, I asked the question, what's the best way to remove a tax lien? And my answer was, wait nine days. <laughs> and that's because as of April 16th, the three bureaus are removing all tax liens from the credit reports. This means that consumer scores, if they had a tax lien on there, will go up a bit. So wait a second. No matter what, if you had a tax lien that is not settled or you didn't pay it or it's outstanding? All of them, yes. Now, why would they do that? Well, they found that I guess it was um, not as big a deal uh, to the predictability as other things were. And also, they didn't want to run into any problems with things not being as accurate as possible. So, you know, the last time we had talked, uh, I guess about a half year ago now, they removed all the, all the judgments from reporting. Now they're removing all the tax liens. So uh, people's scores went up a little bit by that. But, you know, one of the things that first came to mind is if they don't have judgments or tax liens reporting, when you're going for a mortgage and the mortgage loan officer pulls a credit report, they're blindsided because they can't see if you have a major problem that's going to interfere with you getting that mortgage. 
And, of course, LexisNexis, which is the company that provides a lot of these risk solutions, came up with a brand-new product, of course, because it's a great way to make money. And what they did with the credit bureaus is they have a new service where they report uh, tax liens and judgments that actually goes on a mortgage uh, credit report right up front. But the big significance is they're not scored. So they will be seen so a mortgage company can uh, notify a potential uh, borrower that this is something that has to be addressed before they can get the house so they can, you know, handle it during the whole process. But at the same time, um, they actually make a few more points uh, by not having it scored. Okay, so in other words, what's really how it ends up is that the bottom line is a lender will see that you have an outstanding obligation, but it doesn't affect the number of your score. Right. For those of us who, those of our listeners uh, or that really uh, haven't heard you before, would you tell everyone like how they arrive at the scores? Because when you apply for any kind of financing, whether it's a, a, a car loan or a home or apartment, they look at your credit scores. And I think I just did an article for something that I wrote about one of the first things that everyone should do is look at their credit scores before they apply for a loan of any type, right? And can you tell them what, what things really go on your credit scores? And that's what Dan does. If you look at your credit score and it's not great, you can call up Dan, and then your your interest rates are based on really the, the health of your credit score. The better interest rates or the lowest interest rates are going to be for people who have perfect credit. So how, what do they look at in total when they're looking at credit scores, and how should someone really start the process? Okay, well, I mean, there's basically five areas that report on a credit report that are, that are looked at. Um, the first area, which is not scored, by the way, is your personal identifying information, your name, address, um, whether you work, where you work, maybe, uh, your date of birth, none of that uh, is included in the scoring. Then the other four areas are all the trade lines that you have. Uh, then you have a section for charge-off and collections, uh, inquiries, and used to be uh, public. Uh, you also have public records, which will show up things like bankruptcy still. Now, those are the four areas that are scored. Right. So when you're, uh, first of all, you've been on the show many a day, and you've always recommended that even if you're not applying for a loan, it's something that you should always look at a couple of maybe times a year, because sometimes there's just mistakes when they report, correct? That's correct, yes. And one of the things that everybody should do once a year is go to annualcreditreport.com and get a copy from each one of the three bureaus of their credit report just to see if everything on there is reporting correctly, if everything there belongs to them, <laughs> you know, and, and to see uh, if there's any sort of problems on it. Uh, the other thing I would recommend is that, um, because I believe that people should really be pulling their credit reports twice a year with all the uh, um, problems with Equifax in data breaches and everything else, uh, you never know if something's going to show up where somebody's trying to steal your identity or whatever. And when you apply for something, that's the last, the worst time that you can you want to find out about bad information that has to be fixed. So I right, always you recommend might be a, you might be right trying to buy something and going and you need a mortgage, and by the time you fix it, it you can lose the property. 
Yeah, that's very true. And the, um, the other thing I would recommend is that people go to myfico.com. Myfico.com. Uh, now, that's owned by FICO itself, Fair, Fair Isaac Corporation, that developed the FICO scoring model. And what they do now is they give you five or six different credit scores, uh, one for car loans, one for mortgages, one for uh, um, um, uh, credit cards, and, you know, they give you the generic version. They give you the FICO 8, the FICO 9, which hasn't really been utilized by too many companies yet. But you can see all these different scores. So when you go to apply for something, you can see pretty much what type of score you're going to have when they pull up your credit report. Because the mortgage score is not the same as the FICO 8, not even the score that you get from uh, your credit card companies that, that send it to you. And but matter of fact, the industry specific models like credit cards and auto loans have a different scoring range where the normal scoring range is 300 to 850 for those industry specific ones they go from 250 to 900 so just for our listeners 300 being the worst or the lowest credit score that's possible which means you're not getting a mortgage so quick and then right to the highest which is what what would be a perfect score well, 850 would be a perfect score. Right. But, I mean, if you're good, if you get, what, high sevens? Yeah. Once, once you get up to about 740 and above, uh, you're going to pretty much have the same interest rates or the best interest rates from any lender around. Yeah. Now, Dan is an expert with helping people get their scores, improve their, their number whatever your score is, or if you see a problem on it, and sometimes there are problems where they didn't remove something or they put something on that somebody else's or they mix you up with somebody who has the same name, and you people don't even know it. Yeah. And that's what Dan's saying, until they apply for a loan and all of a sudden they get rejected. So it's smart to, to do that. And then you can contact someone like Dan, and he will be able to tell you I can help you and really fix your credit so that it goes to a better number and then you can get a you can get more approvals and probably a better rate. But Dan, I just want to ask you because I had read something that with the with the breach to the equal that they had with Equifax and they that a lot of you know we all called I called right away I mean you couldn't get through it anyone so it was like an exercise of futility but I at least tried to see if I was one of the people that they got my my information. Of course, they have no way of knowing. But I was reading an article that these hackers who got in and got the information are not really going to use it now. It said, like, people will like, oh, okay, I'm home free. Uh, my credit's good. They didn't compromise if they don't have my information. They, I read an article that said they'll probably wait a couple of years well, people now forgot about it because it's three or four years later and they think everything is great, but they already have your information and go back and try and get it then. Is that a possibility? Oh, yeah, especially when they have your personal identifying information. You know, your name usually isn't going to change. Your social security number isn't going to change. Um, your date of birth, if they pull that off of their records, isn't going to change. And with you know, three or four of these bits of information, they can open up new accounts in your name. 
Um, so, like, it, so they can open up a new if, like, say, three years from now, nobody's thinking about it because it's a past tense, and you know, well, maybe it's a it's a good thing in certain ways. But Americans, like, and well, we we kind of have short memories, like, so <laughs> it'll like okay, so two or three years from now, somebody had my information and they open up another account under my name, and they have my social security number and they have my birthday. Now, how would I find that out? That's why you need to pull your credit report exactly. a couple times a year. Exactly. And, I, and, like, it was always important, but with all that's going on now, uh, and there's really no safety net, you really have to be on. You have to take some, some steps yourself to protect your credit, correct? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And matter of fact, there are so many ways mistakes can happen. You know, the the industry is dealing with billions of bits of information uh, all the time, and it's easy to get things messed up. I just had a new client on Friday that had an account uh, that was charged off for $12,000 on two of the trade lines. On the third one, it was listed as $10 million and $1. <laughs> Ten million and one dollar. Yeah, this for an auto loan. Now that that is a car. That, that, I guess somebody wasn't reading it. They just <laughs> they just transferred. Uh, so so how did he find out? Well, it's on the credit report, and the thing is that that w- bureau had the lowest score by quite a bit. So it, it seems obvious that that depressed his score because one of the measures that the FICO scoring model measures you on is your total raw debt. And having a $10 million debt is a rather large I would say <laughs> total so. debt. I would say so, or it's a very expensive car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I hope they do it. So, like, how does somebody get a hold of you? Well, the best way to do it is to email me at creditguy at yahoo.com. So email and then email the question or that or 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 or, how, or I have a problem, take a look at my credit yeah, score. Yeah, either way, if they have a question or if they have a problem or they're looking for somebody to help fix their credit situation, they can yeah, just we're very, email we're me. We're very proud of you because you used to have the worst email in the world. And now it's a very <laughs> oh, Jerry, that was longer. you. <laughs> tell Jerry, tell for people who didn't His hear that His email used show. to be like XZRL104. <laughs> We're like, Dan, Dan, no one is ever going to remember this. We email. said, no one's remembering that. Jerry said, Dan, you got to change it. But hey, see, he hey, took Jerry's advice. My company, Credit Scoring Advisor. And so it was Dan at CreditScoringAdvisor.com. So for you people, I got CreditGuy at Yahoo.com. So it's it makes it easy. We Simple, like that. easy marketing. There you go. I have to say, I use Dan quite often, and he is amazing. His staff, nope. his company, they're great. So. He wouldn't best. be on if we didn't oh, oh, think he was and, amazing. And by the way, we're semi-nice, too. So. Ah, yes. and that counts. <laughs> Always nice. Every Always time nice. I talk Always to you, nice. Yeah. That counts. So you know, before I uh, let you leave, are there any other things that FICO have? They, I, I think you said that FICO was experimenting with artificial intelligence and developing advanced scoring models? Yeah, and you're going to see a lot more artificial intelligence getting into everything. But they have new learning models. You know, these are designed for self-improvement. And they found out that actually it's a little bit less than 2% better predictability. The interesting thing about the uh, artificial intelligence model is that to create the model, the artificial intelligence system or software can do it in 40 hours. 
Now, it takes five engineers mm. at 40 hours a week, four weeks to develop a credit scoring model, which is 800 hours. So it does it a lot faster. And they did an experiment to find out how accurate the system was. And they have a sheet of pictures of dogs and wolves and everything else uh, over this page, probably about 50 photos. Right. And it scans them to find and identify the wolves. And every time it kept identifying the huskies as wolves. And oh, they because they do have, don't they have, they look like. Yeah, know. well, they Similar couldn't features. explain why it wasn't identifying the wolves when it was looking at the huskies. And the engineers tore the thing apart and went over it and went over it, and they found one little commonality between the two, that every picture of the wolves had snow in the background, and so did the huskies, oh. and the computer <laughs> equated snow with the yep. wolves. And oh. that's how it, it developed, you know, identifying a husky as a wolf. So that's they funny. still have some more... Uh, sophisticated uh, engineering to do on this, but you can see how it can make certain it. errors, you know, based on the information fed in. Hmm. That's uh, so great. So, yeah, they're using artificial intelligence. They're going to predict. I mean, I, I think everyone kind of, when they say, well, Facebook gives your information away, I mean, they really, you live in a world where I would say it's pretty tough for them not to get it unless you don't have uh, any, you know, any internet access or you don't ever go on it, but where they're going to be able to, they're doing it already, predict what you're going to buy before you know what you're going to buy. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. All okay. they have to do and is they're going to know social- what you're going to like, what kind of yeah. product you like, what you might, and then they'll, obviously, then advertisers will target the right products to you that uh, you'd be interested in. Dottie, they already have the ability to stand your social networks Facebook, Twitter, whatever, to determine your likes, your income, uh, your attitudes towards things. They can predict a lot of this stuff already uh, with uh, using artificial intelligence and analyzing all this. You know what? I mean, I've heard that they'll be able to, if they, they can, and they might be able to do it now, that they'll be able to predict when you're going to buy a home, when you're going to rent something, when you want, you will move. You, they're going to know more about you than you do. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And um, I think, I don't know that there's any way, you know, you know. I guess for all the progress you make, there's pluses and negatives. And I I don't know what to think about that because I don't, I don't know that there's anything you can really do about it, I, right? I mean, well, I, you just have to be careful what you post, what you like, what you Twitter about, because all of this will be analyzed. Right. And really, uh, I think just while you're on that, and, and, you know, this is not about real estate. This is just really solid advice that Dan's giving you. Uh, so many times people go on social media not really thinking, and, you know, innocently enough thinking, you know, I'm going to put an opinion, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna do, and whatever you put on there, someone's going to have access to and someone's going to make a judgment on you one way or the other. So I know it's old-fashioned, but... You know, if you want to talk privately or about something or an issue, or then you should do that. You know, with an individual, uh, maybe then post it. You really have to be careful what you post. So, Dan, I hope I know you'll come back soon. Just give us that email again, and Dan is an expert. If you need any information or just you know, don't know where to start, you should email him at where at Credit Guy 
at yahoo.com. Guy at yahoo.com. Dan, have a great rest of the day, and thank you so much. Oh, it's been a we'll pleasure. We'll talk real soon. Thank you. All right, you. take care now. Bye-bye. You have to say he's the greatest. He's a wealth of information. Uh, we have a break coming up. We'll be right back. 866-862-9702. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. There's a hole. There's a hole right there. Hi. We're back. And um, I'm going to do a little about um, fears and what what buyers and sellers fear most. But I do want to ask, um, answer a few questions. And if I don't get to your question today, I will the next week. So uh, we, uh, as the world changes, we used to get more calls than questions. And now we get through Twitter and social media, uh, Instagram, a lot of questions that way. But what, we have a question from a broker, I guess, believe. Can uh, you offer advice on how to keep my business and motivation alive? I am a broker associate in New Jersey. And, you know, that is a very good question. Uh, because I don't know if everyone realizes, but brokers and uh, sales associates in the real estate business are independent contractors. Um, they work for a company and they're licensed through that company, but they really don't get, uh, uh, in many cases, they don't get any salary and they work on commissions. And whatever you did the, this year, you know, you're starting over again. It's, you know, not a paycheck. So they really have to stay on top of their business and the best way to stay on top of their business is to really build a strong referral network of people that they know over the years but it's easy to be motivated when everything is working and everything is going right in your life but when things don't go right you have setbacks and I don't want to burden everyone with the plight of a real estate agent but it's really tough because we don't get paid for our time and can you imagine, Barry, no offense to anyone, if you went to an attorney or you were able to go to a, a doctor and spend an hour or two and then go to another doctor and spend an hour or two and another doctor and another attorney and no one, you didn't have to pay anyone and no one got paid for their time. Well, that's really what happens with a real estate broker. They work with clients. They take buyers out. And um, unless they sign a contract on a listing where they and then are working for them, they really can show you a lot of things and ends up with a big zero. Or they can work on a deal, then you don't get a mortgage. So it's, you have to, um, I would, my advice to you is it, step, take a step back from the business and understand the people that are successful in life in any of the businesses they could be in always have setbacks. They have highs and lows. Um, they have good times and bad times. And what you have to do is, Step back and don't go on the roller coaster ride. And that's what I think happens when you're high and everything is going good. You're motivated. You're out there. You're doing business. And then now you work for the last six months on three deals and they all fall apart and you're back to nothing again. And then you get depressed. You don't come to work or you don't, you don't get in touch with your clients. So I think that you have to be self-motivated, hang around with positive people. And if you're going to be successful in any sales job, you have to understand there are highs and lows. 
uh, it's a very tough business, and you might make a lot of money one play one three months, and then you might not get anything for six months. So you have to budget yourself, yeah. and I think a lot of motivational uh, can help. And hang around with positive people. Whenever I am in a bad place, or maybe things didn't go great for me. I don't want to sit with all the people that make, oh, you know, I feel bad for you or make you a victim. Hang around with positive people um, that are positive and are not draining. And if you do that, you'll see that everybody in life has ups and downs, and it's just a matter of how you manage that. So thank you for calling in the questions. And if you have anything else, I'm glad to answer that because, uh, truthfully, I think the public doesn't realize it is a tough job being a real estate broker. Uh, it really is. And, uh, but if you have a great one, they're worth every penny. <laughs> I have a question from Julie from Instagram, and Julie asks, why are brokers open houses so important? Now, I can only give you an opinion because I think that's not a factual answer, but in many ways they're very important because if you're a buyer... You can really map out the open houses, and you don't have to really go through the agents. You could go, get in your car or take a train or however your transportation is working, and see lots of things that you don't have to make appointments for that you can go in and look. And in many ways, Briar doesn't feel pressured because there's generally not always a broker with them, or sometimes the brokers will tell them to go to these open houses. And they can just look through and get an idea of what's on the market. And I think when you're a buyer, it's very important to see what's on the market because when your broker calls you up and says, hey, Ace, you got to buy this. It's right what you're looking for, and it's a great price, and it's not going to last. It's great that you trust your broker, but it's nice that you also kind of know it yourself because you know what's on the market. And if you're a seller... I tell sellers, because a lot of times, you know, sellers kind of, oh, well, my house is worth this. Well, we showed you that mm-hmm. these houses or these apartments are what sold and, and that are similar to yours. Yeah, but mine's better, blah, blah, blah. Price is a matter of what somebody's willing to pay. So you have to look at what your competition is. And when you're selling a property, basically it's what can a buyer buy that's on the market that's similar to yours in a similar area and how much are those people charging? And I think as a seller, Dottie, you know, when you hold broker open houses, you're sort of spreading the word with other brokers. So your listing actually becomes that much more yes. expensive. So And not that you're making it accessible and easy for people to see. If you're a seller that says, oh, listen, don't show my home on week," I've had sellers like that. Don't show my home on weekends. Don't show my home if I'm not here. Uh, you know, and it's that paying the net to sell a property because you have to keep it in, you know, great shape. And a lot, a lot of times, the last minute, a broker is going to call you because they get a last minute customer or that customer after maybe showing them a couple of things, they realize, wait a second, what they told me they want and what they actually really are going to like. So... It's making your home accessible or your apartment accessible. Open houses are easy. People know the time. They don't have to make an appointment. Not only, as, as, as I said, customers can go, but as, as Ace told you, other brokers. Because other brokers, once they see a property, I mean, they can read about it. But once you see it, it's in your mind. So I think it's, a, a, it's one of many marketing, to, marketing tools 
it is not the only marketing tools. And if, um, Julie, you find that you did three or four open houses and they, nobody came, well, that's not a marketing tool you should use anymore. Uh, but I hope I answered your question. Do you like open houses, Jerry? I do. I was just thinking about, I have a friend who's been looking and <laughs> they're working with this agent who says to them, well, you know, go to open houses on weekends and check in and put my name down as your broker. And if you like something, let me know and I'll submit an offer. <laughs> I thought, you know, well, what's, what's, what's your point then? I mean, why do you have this agent? They're not helping you. I mean, uh, to me, that's absurd. Uh, why why well, do you it's, send it's your client Well, it's also something that, I mean, you really have to, because you're you're trusting that somebody really puts your name down. Yeah. <laughs> and and read, basically, it's kind of like new development. Sometimes if you see a new development, they'll ask you, are you working with a broker? Yeah. And they want to respect that broker and make sure that they give that broker mm -hmm. credit. But I agree with you. My, I mean, my point to my friend was, you know, he said, is that normal? And I said, no. I mean, your agent should be out there helping you, working with you, you know, uh, uh, helping you Definitely. pick out properties, helping you negotiate. They're not just sitting there waiting for you to find your own thing and then and then they get the commission. That's not the point. No, you know, the point but can that, I give you another side of, uh -huh. a, of the story? I, and I agree with you. But I also think that I find that the best clients for me to work with are clients that A, you have to have a rapport with, if you don't, then you, but are people that are informed. Because if I know what the market value is and I'm trying to convince you, well, you might trust me, but it's always better if you're educated to the market yourself. Because then you're gonna trust me because you respect me, but you also know in your heart, hey, this person also, I, so the best way to look at value is to see What's on the market? Now, I don't know that you physically have to go to open houses, but sometimes that's helpful. Um, but also you can do it online. You can yeah. go to the – I recommend this all the time. Go online and you kind of take a Google map or something of that nature and pinpoint the area that you're looking in because you can't, like, jump areas because the pricing will be different. And look at what's on the market and what the range is. Now, remember – because somebody said to me the other day something about my fault, and I'm like, well, that's just the price. I'm, I don't mind it's not for sale, but there was a couple in my building, and they said, well, that I said that's just the price. Yeah. That doesn't mean anything. You know, Dottie, that, but you can get it. You can really tell um, a really good broker from from a not so good broker. So, so an example of that is I, I'm actually looking to sell one of my apartments, right? And the broker actually said, well, Ace, if you're looking to sell. You know, let's take a tour of not potential, I guess, um, other real estate properties, but let's take a look at some of the sale comps in your neighborhood. So you can actually see, you know, at your price point, at your target price point, what other comps are there in the neighborhood. And I thought that was a but really interesting strategy. They wanted to show them what? They wanted to show me what was available near my price point that I was looking to sell my apartment for. Well, see, that's what I say so to I sellers. So I can have a better because idea. Because many sellers. They don't know. They don't know, and obviously, when you want to sell, you want to get the highest exactly. price. Or you say, well, this is what I need. So I think it's great for both, because what sellers don't realize, yeah. somebody could tell you any number you want to exactly. hear. Like, I would say, well, what number do you want me to tell you? And if you want me to tell you a number, I, I can tell you, but that doesn't mean anything. That's going back to being informed. You know, right. So. And so, again, 
want you to trust them. Obviously, you should trust and, and have a respect for the broker you're working with. Otherwise, you shouldn't work for them. But also, it's good that you know on your own or that you have an understanding. So what your friend was doing for you is trying to educate you yeah. to the market so that when you price it, we price you it price right. it in the right category exactly. and you don't overprice it. That's exactly it. So. Got it. Okay. And for all of the people that email me and tell me, Donnie, my house has been on the market or my property for like a year and a half and it hasn't sold. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, uh, there's something wrong there. Remember this tip. Everything sells at a number. It's just what that number is. Okay? And if you want to be competitive, you have to look at what sold. People get get that information. Say, I think we have a break. We'll be right back after break. Break. Eight six two nine seven oh nine six two two. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back. You're listening to I on Real Estate. And as I said before the break, that I would uh, give you pretty much the biggest fears and for buyers and basically what most people worry about when they're buying and ba- and also what they worry about when they're selling and Ace and Jerry and any of you that are listening, certainly text or email me or Instagram me if you agree or you have other things that you think uh, are important. But buyers, I think a big fear always is, again, gee, am I paying too much? Am I paying a fair price for this home? Am I getting a decent deal? Uh, Should I wait because it's new on the market and maybe they won't sell it and I could have gotten it for cheaper? Or if you're in a bidding or you have to make an offer, gee, what should that offer be? And if they accept the offer quickly, gee, they accepted it too quickly. Maybe I, I should have offered less and they would have, you know. So I think that at the end of the day, you want to be able to feel in your heart that you paid a fair price. Uh, they also, uh, a fear is that, that it's a, a, a money pit. Uh, do they well if you that's why I always say in if a residential house if you're buying the freestanding home you have to have an engineer's report because again it's not about the decorating or cosmetic things that usually aren't expensive to fix you want to see if there's any structural really uh, damage uh, if the roof is bad if major if the wiring is not not uh, good if it's if the boiler is going to blow up soon or it's like forty years old so that's that's because those are big, big numbers when you have to replace them and you need to know about them ahead of time. And obviously, maybe you can negotiate with the seller. And if you're a seller, same. You should know that before you sell the property. Uh, neighbors, I don't know if that's a big fear of people. I don't, I mean, it's some people it might be. And if, I guess it's probably important. Really, when you think about it, if you're living in a building, I hope you don't have a bad next-door neighbor because you're going to see them a lot. And if you live in the suburbs or in a freestanding home, obviously, if you have a bad neighbor or they are like they don't like kids or they maybe don't like noise, it could be a problem. Uh, do some people want to meet their neighbors? I think the best thing to do with your neighbors is always introduce yourself and try to have... Uh, a nice report with mm-hmm. them, but you can't guarantee that because even if you have great neighbors, they could move. 
So that's kind of one of those things that it's a plus if they're good. And you don't want to have moved next to a property that you know the neighbor's really been crazy. But uh, that's kind of hopefully it's a good neighbor uh, because there's no guarantees on neighbors. Interest rates. What if interest rates go up before you find something? Then what? I always tell people, you know, you live in you live in the payment, not the rate. So it's so important to take a look at your payment instead of just focusing in on the on the rate. Yes, and you know what? Just on on a, on a note that A said, it is wise for you because some people can afford a lot more than they want to spend. Because again, individually, do you like to go out a lot for dinner? Do you like to vacation a lot? Mm-hmm. So some people will say, no, you know what? I'd rather have put that money towards this property and have a more expensive property and I'll give up myself. You know, we can, we'll give up going away or going to dinner two or three times a week. And for others, that's too much of a sacrifice. And so again, depending on your own lifestyle is what you should be comfortable with, even if you can afford more. So what Ace is saying is really the best advice. Look at the payments. Am I comfortable with paying that? It doesn't really matter the interest rate if you're comfortable with the payment. And I don't want to say it doesn't matter the interest rate. You always want to get the best rate, but you do that by having good credit. So it all ties in. So those are kind of concerns that I think are are major concerns of, of buyers. And when you're a seller, remember you were once a buyer or maybe you'll be a buyer again. So you're going to have the same fears also. A seller has fears too. And I think a seller's fears are, gee, am I selling too low? Now, the buyers are, am I buying too high? <laughs> and the sellers are, am I selling too low? And again, I say that happens sometimes when you get an offer right away and a seller goes like, why Why am I getting this offer right away? Did the broker price them too low? And I'm thinking, well, the broker did their job and priced it too right, too, right in the right category. But remember something. Price is not a science. There's no formula, okay? Uh, You look at what's sold. You can make an estimate, but what's sold is not identical. And then there could be somebody who, you know, their mother lives around the corner or in the same building and they want to be there, so they're going to pay a little extra. It's not a science. And you can't only look at price. You need to look, as A said, at down payment. Mm -hmm. And you need to know somebody's credit. And a lot of times, sellers don't realize, hey, that person can look great, have a great job, they can have a good income, but you don't know that they didn't pay child support for their last wife and their credit's bad. So if you're a seller, that's a fear, and if you, you should really have at least ask for a credit report before you go to contract with someone because even if they pay the right price, mm-hmm. How will you know? Uh, someone, a uh, fear of sellers also is, what if I put my home on the market? Why Why is nobody coming? Did you ever get that from your client? Any, anybody, Jerry? Why oh, is absolutely. Nobody that happens yeah, all the usually time. Usually it's because uh, you're overpriced. I mean, nobody's mm-hmm. coming. You're just almost always the case you're overpriced, I think. Or the photos are terrible. I still can't, I'm still obsessed with how 
agents can list properties, uh, you know, uh, because I look at the MLS up here all the time, just, you know, just because I right. like to look at property. And there's one or two photos. I mean, sir, really? <laughs> you can only put one or two photos? Put a bunch on to get people's interest. You know? Well, first of all, I think that's something that as a seller you should discuss. And I see so many sellers don't ask this question. Please give me what you, how you plan to market this property. Yeah, what's your weather and and how you plan to do it on the internet and with social media and how you do it in print or uh, you're showing or to open houses and can you put that in writing? Yeah, and how are people going to find this property? How's the buyer going to find now? Maybe if you have really a a horrible house, you know. uh, But I think for most part, the brokers are, are are should put more pictures. They they don't have to have a picture. I don't think of every room, but I think today. If you know you need to have good pictures on because people are probably going to discount something they don't see anything on unless it's mm-hmm. a great price yeah. and if it's really cheap or like it seems too good to be true it probably is but then somebody might might not care that there's no pictures but that's, but it's that's so true. easy it's so easy too I mean everybody's got an iPhone you just take multiple pictures the iPhone's got a great camera and I see these pictures and they're dark and they're out of focus, and I'm thinking, really, this is the best you can do, you know, for your client. And and these are by agents, you know. I think sellers should demand more on, on the on the pictures. It's very important, I think. Well, then, you know, to your point, Jerry, what a seller has to do is not only ask for that and make sure it's part of the marketing plan, because somebody can put, you know, we'll put you on the Internet, we'll put you on MLS, yeah. or we'll give it, you know, the listing to other brokers. But then you have to go and inspect what the broker put on. So then you'll yeah, see your property. Yeah. Now, a lot of times, I will tell you, because that can kick you in the you-know-what, a lot of times people say, well, gee, Dottie, like, why didn't the broker put this room on or they didn't really photograph my property properly? Well, maybe what you think is beautiful is not. Or maybe right. there was a reason that the broker photographed it a certain way. But I'll also see pictures where somebody in a suburb, not so much in, a, of course, an apartment that's being sold, there'll be garbage, there'll be a lawn that has like a, a lawnmower there. Uh, they didn't really clean up. There's garbage pails around. Well, sellers and listing, well, that's how you're displaying. That's the first impression of your home is on the internet, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So that's where somebody doesn't know it inside and out, but if those pictures... Are not they, they might discount it because they don't even want to look, or as Jerry said, there's not enough to look, and they. So that's kind of what somebody makes an impression on, and it's really important. And as a seller, should go and when say to the broker, when you put everything up, do me a favor, come back and uh, I'll, I want to look at it, or just go on yourself. And uh, and then if there's a particular thing you don't like. Then you can ask the broker, because maybe the broker had a reason for not putting it on. I don't know. So I right. don't want to make uh, a general statement on that. But I think that, to your point, that is so, so important. And that's a fear. And the other thing is timing. If you're a seller, did you buy something else? And that fear is a real fear if you're a seller that bought something else because you found something you liked and you bought it. Now you're kind of dealing with a time period and if you start getting very antsy if you didn't sell the property if you know if if you uh, put something a down payment down and you could stand to lose it 
So I don't necessarily recommend that you do that unless you can afford to mm-hmm. pay the payments on your original property while you're selling it or uh, and the new payments. So again, there's no formula. Now, when you have the two properties, wouldn't that affect your credit? Like if I was a... Yeah. I, I mean, not necessarily the credit, but the ability to repay the new right. loan. Right, so so then you know you would have to tell the mortgage person if you were buying if you were getting a mortgage on the second property that you just put a down payment on. Gee, I'm going to sell my home. Correct, uh, but that timing can be tricky. Yeah. So uh, you really have to if you that's a fear, and it's a it's a reasonable fear. So you have to have an alternative how you're going to do that. You should talk to your broker and your any legal people that advice you want. To give. I think our time is just about up. I think I'm going to stop by. Uh, Kentucky Derby, uh, friends, property. Go win some money. Go win some money, Daddy. Oh, yeah. I'm not good at that. I'm not a big betting person, but I, <laughs> I, I love horses. And so, happy Kentucky Derby Day, and we'll be back next week. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.